Today in the show, we're talking about micro habits that impact your personal finances. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney. I'm your host. Thank you so much for being here this week. I'm joined with Trevor. And this week, we're talking about uh, micro habits that impact our personal finances. But before we dive into this episode, we're excited to announce that next week we'll be bringing a roundtable discussion to you on the topic of financial mistakes made throughout uh, the various decades. So we're really excited about bringing you that content. So Trevor, let's dive into today's article. And it's all supported by a fabulous read by Laura Adams from Quick and Dirty Tips. And it's called Seven Micro Habits That Will Make You Better With Money. Yeah. So micro habits of any kind are so critical to your your life. And in this article, it says developing micro habits that will help you in your health, wealth, and finances. So it, it kind of habits will help you in every aspect of your life. But if you think of habits, we have good habits and we have bad habits. So a bad habit will destroy you financially or, or your health and, and well-being and happiness as well as, as much as a good habit will. The problem is, is once you get programmed with a habit, it becomes really hard to change. And habits can creep in unknowingly. So bad habits tend to creep in and we don't even observe it happening. And it only takes a, such a small window of time to create a habit. I've read different articles. So anywhere between 20 and 30 days can form a habit. And once you're, that habit's been programmed into you, it, it, you have to replace it with another habit. You can't, it's almost impossible to, to, to break the habit and leave a void there. So uh, this, this whole episode is about building in habits to help you replace bad habits. And I, I like that you brought up the key the key piece here about how how habits impact our health, wealth, and and happiness. And again, I think these are all super critical to making uh, good financial decisions because when we when we're happy, when we're when we're feeling good, when we're in our best state of mind, we generally to make the the best financial decisions possible. Well, and if you think of uh, habits, so the human body's designed to become as efficient as possible. And that's what really puts us at the top of the food chain. So if you think of, if you had to consciously think through getting up in the morning, making breakfast, drinking coffee, taking a shower, if you had to consciously think about how you're going to do each of those things, if those things weren't habits, you'd be exhausted before you left for work. Habits are important in that they make us incredibly efficient and they're they're necessary. It's just, you have to build ones like you said that bring you health wealth and happiness the, the, if you can focus on those three things if your if your habit delivers all three that's that, that's a great habit but if it can deliver two out of three I, I think it's a habit worth worth pursuing before we dive into the seven micro habits I think it's important to to really highlight and something that Laura Adams highlighted in the beginning of her article is that habits are are important to carefully develop and and really pay attention to because they are they just are repetitive behavior she says and and thought patterns so i mean we, i'm sure there's a lot of things a lot of f- even financial decisions we make that are just due to repetitive behaviors everything from grabbing your st- coffee on your way to work as you walk by starbucks to um quickly grabbing your lunch out just li- these little things these habits that do accumulate into a very a very f- significant financial financial decisions well, and I think you kind of, the things you mentioned, I think they're more conscious decisions. In my world, they are anyway. 
is packing a lunch is a habit. You know, carving out that window of time where you just, you, you start making a lunch without even thinking about making a lunch. It just, it just happens as your routine. I think, you know, making a coffee in the morning instead of buying one is just something that you've just, it, it's filled that void in your day. That's just what you do. So another kind of key piece here that Laura Adams mentions and and kind of why all the little habits I think are important to to really examine and be aware of is because everything we do either moves us closer to our goals or farther away from them. And I found this, I when I read this, when I was preparing for this episode, I found that so significant because our every single action, everything we do, all those little cumulative habits, they either help us or or disable us from from getting closer to whatever our end goal may be, whether it's financial independence, early financial independence, like yourself, Trevor, or whatever else your goal may be. Well, and it's interesting that that, that comment is because you're never just standing still. You're never just treading water. You're right. Things you do, everything you do either moves you in the direction you of your goals or away there's nothing just neutral, right? There's nothing where you do something and it has, it's neither moving you away or toward. Like if you're watching Netflix rather than reading a book, it's probably, that's time. If you're not using that time to move you towards your goal, then then time is passing with every passing day that you're not achieving that goal. And that's why you're either moving toward or away because time never stops moving. Exactly. And even inaction is also an action as well. So even if we do not make a decision or, or do something productive, again, like, like you just said, that is still impacts how much time we're taking away from other things. And before we get into these, you know, I'll ask you, is there a, do you, are you aware of a habit that you have that you wish you didn't? So a negative habit in your life right now that, that if you could and the, where I'm going to go is you can't just stop that habit. You need to replace it with something. So is there something you do on a daily basis that you wish you didn't? You know, at the end of the day, you look back and say, I shouldn't have done that. I don't know if it's one per, one in specific, but I know that I'm very, my 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 morning routine is very habitual. So I know that I kind of do everything in a specific order. So I know that causes in in inflexibility and I think that kind of inflexibility comes through in other areas of my life where I I kind of have built this habitual routine so I I don't know if that counts I feel like that's a kind of a not a quite valid one I mean I'm sure I can think a little bit harder so here is something that most people would have is I, I think it's important to have a in your morning routine to have a small window it could be no more than 15 minutes of nothing in in your by the time you wake up to the time you leave, you need a small window of nothing. Actually, so if, if we're if we're talking about moments of nothing, I have a forty minute uh, commute on the bus everywhere every day to work. And while I love podcasts and I love listening to music, on that forty minute commute, minute commute every single day, I do nothing. I just stare at the window and do nothing. And it's I find it this very meditative moment before, and it really kind of mentally somehow prepares me for the day I, I do absolutely it's just it's it's this very it's peaceful and so maybe that's my moment of nothing I, I don't know if that qualifies because I, I think the moment of nothing it's important that you be in a in a comfortable quiet place and I know just say you have young kids this might seem impossible but if you don't if you could carve out this 15 minute window of time and, and I don't think on your commute counts because you, you your conditions in which you are commuting on a public transit 
it's not going to be a time where you can just sort of gather your thoughts. You, you might be around people, you might be standing, you might be sitting, you might have noisy people beside you. So I, anyway, that's a habit I've incorporated into my life and it's made a world of difference. So Trevor, let's launch into the the seven micro habits that will make you better with money that Laura Adams has outlined in her article. And I do want to note before we lead into these that a lot of them, I mean, I want to say all I want to say all but one actually directly relates to personal finance and in money. And I think that's important to highlight is that these little actions and these little behaviors and decisions that we make cumulatively help, again, our health, wealth, and happiness to making uh, overall better financial decisions that really push us forward in the right direction. Micro habit number one is listen to 15 minutes of audio a day. And so if you're listening to this podcast, chances are this is not going to be a, a challenging one for our listeners. But I think the listening to 15 minutes of audio, it, it's what this habit is trying to do. is It's trying to incorporate getting that sensory skill developed. So listening is a skill. And to get that engaged earlier in the day as possible, it's going to make you a better listener throughout the day. It's going to turn on that auditory sense. And I, I, I do this myself. I listen to at least 15 minutes of audio while I'm eating breakfast. That, that's where I've built it in. And you'll know when you've, you've formed it as a habit is when somebody interrupts that window, that, that 15 minute window of listening to audio, it annoys you. And that's when you know you have the habit developed. And it, it, it's going to take some prep work. So you, you can't be searching for something to listen to when you're supposed to be listening to it. So I, I can't be searching for something to listen to while I'm eating breakfast. I need to have that something selected the night before. And that's what I do. And so it's on my phone. It's ready to go. And so as soon as I wake up, I turn, I start making my breakfast. Once I sit down, I turn on that audio and I listen to it. So that's my, my habit. And the things you listen to, I think, obviously, if you listen to this podcast, hopefully it's inspiring you to make better financial decisions. But it, it could be a hobby or, or anything. There's podcasts on and audiobooks on almost every subject imaginable. I listen to podcasts that inspire me and, and maybe motivate me to, to have a better day. I, so, but what about you, Courtney? Do you have listening in your daily habits? Not right now, again, because I mean, I used to. I used to when I commuted um, all during university, I'd always listen to, uh, listen to podcasts during that commute. But it's something I've been trying to get back into, especially during that period. I do listen to podcasts, but not, I mean, I think on your way to your commute is kind of a optimal time. I mean, Trevor, you listen to them when you eat breakfast then? Yeah, first thing in the morning. And I, I, this, this is two things. So 15 minutes seems really short. And most podcasts are longer than 15 minutes. And, and I think the whole idea here is if you start listening to some audio, you're going to enjoy it and you're going you're gonna to finish listening to it at some point in your day. So this is just to get you engaged with audio. With audio format of information or entertainment and it's also to turn on that auditory sense so I, I think it kind of serves two purposes it gets you adapted to receiving information through audio which is a skill in itself it's it's something you have to develop just like learning to read learning to listen and retain things through through audio is, is a skill I, I'm, again if, if you're listening to this podcast probably are you're pretty dialed into audio anyway I, I do like the point that you, you mentioned about 
how you pre-select your podcast or audio the night before because I know when I have tried to listen to an audio book or a podcast when I'm getting ready in the morning, I, I kind of I get frustrated because I'm spending the whole morning selecting my, my podcast and then I check the time and I don't have time to listen to it. So I think I know it's a really small, maybe maybe insignificant point, but I think it's very important. For more, a lot of people, the best time is on your commute. You know, th- this is wasted time otherwise. And if you could fill that void with listening to audio that's going to inspire and motivate you, I think that's a great way to utilize that time. And then once you get to the point of, if just say you play a podcast in, in your car and your 30-minute commute to work, if you ever get caught, you'll know it's a habit if you ever get caught and you don't have one, meaning you, you left work and you didn't download one or you left home and you didn't download a podcast. You get in your car and you, you're fresh out of audio and you turn on the radio and the first thing you notice is full of commercials. So it's, you'll, you'll know you develop the habit when, when you miss it and it's not, when it's not there. So the second point on this list of micro habits to, to incorporate into your life to make you better with money is reading one page of a book. Now, this sounds crazy. One page. You know, how, how, what could you get from reading one page? But what they're trying to do here, and this is a, a brilliant idea, is, is trying to get a book in your hand. And if it's, a, if it's a good book, I mean, if it's an author you enjoy or it's been recommended, chances are you're not going to stop at one page. You're going to read a chapter. But if you commit to reading one page, this is the idea. It's not a huge commitment. So you know everyone's got five minutes to read one page of text. And it's to build that habit. So to, you, you just develop this, this need to have a book in your hands at some point during the day. And the whole thing with these things is all these are designed to be daily. And again, you have to muscle through this for 20 to 30 days. And before you'll reach the point where you will not be able to function without doing these things. And these are all positive things. So reading one page of a book per day is, uh, there's nobody who couldn't commit to that. that. That's an easy commitment to make. But once you start that, you will obviously be motivated to turn the next page and the next page, but it's getting a book selected, getting a book in your hand, getting a book and also a place where you're going to sit and read it. This, that tends to be, you know, if, if you eat supper, you sit down and you watch the news next thing you know, you're watching three or four TV shows. That's a habit. And to me, that's a bad habit. If you eat supper, you sit down and you read your one page, chances are you're going to read a whole chapter. So, and you've developed a habit. So in reading is without question that I have got more information and knowledge from reading than any other source, like television, podcasts, audiobooks. Hands down, no contest. Reading books is going to be your best source of information. I mean, it has been for centuries. So if you can develop a reading habit, you're going to enrich your life so much. So I have a couple follow-up questions here. My first one is, so Laura Adams says that all of these seven, these micro habits um, work to create more pre- pre- professional and personal financial success. But how, in your opinion, does point number two here, reading more books directly contribute to contribute to being better with money? I mean, because I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking these are fantastic habits, but wondering where the connection is between the two. Well, obviously, if you read books on personal finance, they're going to be useful in that sense. But if you read books on behavioral books, and even fiction books, even a story has a moral to it. There's a moral to every story. So even if you're reading fiction, it goes somewhere. And it just, you start using your mind in other ways other than, the problem with television 
this is what most people consume their time with, is it's just coming at you. Your mind, you, the neur- neurons in your brain are not working at the same level. The, the activity in your brain when you read it is at a whole other level. You're yet, I'm yet to meet somebody who has been successful in life who did not enjoy reading at some level. Statistically speaking, I, I think most successful people I've met, their life has been enriched through reading. It's a skill, believe it or not. You become a super efficient reader. But just the knowledge that you can get out of books, is, is it's a habit worth developing. So an interesting statistic uh, written here is that research suggests that reading electronic text can slow you down by 20% to 30% compared to the speed you read a real book. Uh, it says here that flipping the paper and flipping pages creates a deeper sensory experience that helps reading comprehension and remembering what you've read. So, Trevor, I know you're a massive consumer of electronic uh, material, whether it be um, audiobooks, podcasts, and also uh, electronic books. How do you how do you feel about uh, this kind of this point here? And and what do you heavily rely on? So, my go-to reading device is a Kindle. And it is a device that is not connected to the internet. And I think that is the key. So if you're reading on a smartphone or a tablet or a computer, there's distractions just waiting for you. You might read something in a book and it says, gee, I wonder if they have that on Amazon. (laughs) You know, you're you're shopping Amazon. Or you might read something in a story and say, it just says about lions eating gazelles. And you say, gee, I think I saw that on YouTube. Next thing you know, you're on YouTube. So I think it's important to be on a device that is not connected to the internet. But but what about the point of the actual, the flipping the pages? I mean, when you read a Kindle, you can't actually, there is this, there is this sense of kind of, you, you can flip the pages and get into it. Like you feel the pages. Like, well, how does, how does that relate? I guess I don't need that. But I think when they said you become more efficient when you're reading a book as opposed to reading digital content, I really think they're talking about the distractions that are going to be there. I seem to be as efficient on my Kindle that's not connected to the internet as I am in a physical book. So I like to read in the evening. My Kindle has some backlighting and it's easier on the eyes. I think probably reading a book, you know, a paper book would be the ultimate, I'm not going to get distracted reading material. So I would support that 100%. Um, it's it's actually funny because it, this this whole point, I mean, I think everyone says oh it'd be nice to kind of read before bed and I know I've personally said this um I say this to myself all the time but actually last night even before reading this article um my partner and I we 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 sat down for bed and but we actually we actually read and and it was amazing and I I'm craving reading again tonight before bed like there's this like I mean I've been looking forward to going to bed all day just so I can I can read before bed so I think it's this but I do want to say Trevor and I want to ask you about this too I find kind of, I, I don't know if it's just me, maybe our listeners can weigh in on this too, but I find there's this kind of, sometimes you have to psych yourself up to read, kind of like actually sit, like you're kind of, you kind of have to sit down, bring yourself down a little bit from where, from your busy day maybe and just like, it, it, it's this mental kind of process. Do you experience that or is that just me? Well, th- this is the whole uh, idea of reading one page. So if you have to psych yourself up, meaning, you know, I, I want to plow through this uh, 50 page chapter, I, you would have to set yourself up for that. You got to make sure you have enough energy, enough time that you're going to get through it. So, but if you go at it like I'm just going to read one page, if that's your going in plan, I don't think there's any psych up required. But but I'm with you. If if I'm committed to reading and plowing through a book because it has to get back to the library, I do have to psych myself up, saying, "Well, I haven't got time to read that." 
You have to commit to reading books in small increments of time. But more importantly, you can't even begin to start reading and in, in integrating reading into your life until you've pulled something out because you're hard-pressed to find somebody whose life is not full. That's the problem in society. We fill our lives up completely. And and I think that's what I mean about, about psyching yourself up or, or bringing yourself down from the kind of the highness of that day is that you, you've been going, 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 and, and maybe you did dishes and you ate dinner and you ran an errand and then all of a sudden you come back and yeah, you sit down on a couch, but like you still have to lower yourself down, I think, like a lot, a lot more mentally and just relax yourself more to get into that space. I don't know. That's just me, but. See, I disagree. I think the book is what brings you, is what the, the act of reading is what relaxes me. I don't have to get relaxed to read. If I start reading, everything calms down. I think it's just that initial action of reaching for your book. I Maybe I, I probably, I probably think about it too, a little bit too deeply maybe, but it's just that kind of initial action of, it's easier to turn on Netflix and start watching Netflix than it is to reach for that book. And so I think, I think, I think it comes from a kind of a comparative analysis between, oh, let's just watch Netflix first. Let's just open a book. So here's what happens in my house. So I keep the remote for my TV. I have an Apple TV, if anyone's wondering, <laughs> just for the any, record. Is there any um, gas I keep, of uh, shock? <laughs> I keep that remote in a different room than the TV is in. So it's not in the same room. And I do that on purpose. When I'm done watching TV, I take that remote and I put it in the kitchen. And there's no TV in my kitchen. And that means I can't just sit down and turn on the TV. I've made it hard to watch TV. I have to go, I have to get up. I know where the remote is. I don't have to go look for it, but I have to go get it. But my book is in the room where the TV is. It's sitting on the coffee table. So I've, I've designed it so it's easier to read my book than it is to watch TV. I mean, we're not talking about a lot of effort here, but I've, I've set up a scenario where reading is going to be, especially if you're tired, is going to be way easier than going to the kitchen. And for the record, I have to climb a, a set of stairs to go get it. <laughs> <laughs> and then bring it back downstairs. So you, you can design it so you make it harder to fail. I really like that point because, I mean, I think it'd be easy to sit here and pretend that at the end of a workday, we have a lot of self-discipline left over from the day. But we all know that by the end of the day, we've kind of used up a lot of a lot of that within, within us. And even with the best intentions, it's sometimes d- difficult to, to actualize that. So your strategy of, of kind of setting yourself up for success, it makes it easier for yourself. And, you know, you mentioned self-discipline. Self-discipline is... It's not an infinite supply. We wake up in the morning with a limited supply of self-discipline. That's why happiness is so important because we can't rely on self-discipline. It, it runs out as the day goes on. And some people spend all their self-discipline before they even leave for work because they have not taken the time to develop habits, good habits. All they have is bad habits. Hitting the snooze bar six times is a bad habit. Not packing the lunch the night before is a bad habit. Some of us have bad habits, like you don't fold your clothes and put them away. You can't find them in the morning. So you, your self-discipline is a limited resource. And habits, when you incorporate a positive habit in your life, that is discipline you're not spending. Self-discipline that's not being spent on doing the right thing. So my TV remote is in another room. I don't have to, and my book is in, in the room where the TV is. I don't have to 
work up my self-discipline and say, I should read that book, but it's going to be easier to click on this TV. I don't, that, that I've made that hard. So I think that's a way you can crowd out bad habits. So Laura Adams has actually listed here a few personal finance books that we'll have this article in the show notes so you can uh, refer refer to these other suggestions. But if you are looking for other inspiration too, uh, Trevor and I do keep an ongoing uh, book list. It's not just personal finance reads. There are some behavioral uh, books and and just other thing, other kind of resources that have inspired uh, inspired Trevor himself. And it's on our website if you if you do want to check out our recommended reads as well. And I just want to mention that uh, there's a fabulous book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. It's been out for a while, but it is a fabulous book on on why habits are so important and how they're created and, and what it takes to break one and create a new one. And it's literally, it's programming in your brain that has to be neutralized. So it is a, is a it's kind of a, a science-y book. So it's, it's not the easiest read, but it, it's very enlightening. And I, I would highly recommend that book. I think it's in our book list. Since we're on the topic of habits, I thought that was a great book to bring up. And it's, this is a habit of reading, so it couldn't be better. So point number three in the third micro habit is going to bed 30 minutes earlier. And I just want to kind of preface this point with, I absolutely think it's beautiful and genius, but I think I can, and I can almost hear our listeners saying, this is fantastic. I agree, but this point is easier said than done. So I'm going to say the, the benefits of this are going to be at the, when you wake up. So here's something I observe all the time where I, where I work. I can tell the people who have been going nonstop from the minute they woke up till the minute they get to work. Because they get to work, they're completely frazzled, and they start out their work day, just their energy is zapped, their their mind is just frazzled because they've been going since the clock rang at 6.30, and they haven't stopped to the minute they sat down at their desk at work. And that's a horrible way to start your work day. And I don't like your chances of having a good work day after, uh, with that kind of start to your morning. So, so I'm. Remember, I said you need this little window of 15 minutes where you're just doing nothing. So I have this thing about drinking coffee slowly in the morning. That is my thing. If I have to gulp coffee, you know that 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 I, I know I'm having a bad morning. So I like to sip my coffee slowly, and then I, it's this 15 minute window where I have nothing going on. I mean, I, I know I have ample time to eat breakfast, shower, get dressed, and then leave for work. But there's 15 extra minutes in that morning where I, my, my time is not accounted for. And by the time, so when I get to work, I'm not frazzled. I had a moment to catch my breath, collect my thoughts. And the way I do this is by going to bed earlier. So I, I hope to be sleeping by 10 o'clock. That's my goal to, you know, my eyes are closed. I'm out cold at 10. Well, you can't go to bed at 5 to 10 and hope to be sleeping by 10. Well, some people can. I can't. So I climb into bed around 9.30 with a book in hand, and and I just have a routine. Now, if you got young kids, I get it. I, I've had, I used to have young kids. You, you maybe can't do this. But if you can incorporate going to bed 30 minutes, or I guess the key is you want to go to bed 30 minutes before you plan to go to sleep. For me, that's, that's what I need to do. But the payoff is in the morning. And if you get it, here's another thing with sleep is if you get a good night's sleep, if you get a full eight hours, you just make good decisions all day long. And if you are in sleep deprivation, you make bad decisions all day long, bad decisions about what you eat, bad decisions on how you 
talk and treat to pe- treat people and, and you're, you're just weak. You're, you, your whole mind is weakened and you're just going to make bad decisions. I've said this before in the podcast. I, I'm a big fan of World War I history. And of all the atrocities in World War I with the poisonous gas and the trenches and machine guns and, and bombs, one of the things that always gets mentioned is sleep deprivation. You know, these soldiers suffered from sleep deprivation. That, so it's not my imagination how important it is. The sleep is, is critical. It, without sleep, you, when I have a bad night's sleep, and I, I don't have that many, but when I do, I just make bad decisions all day long. And I, and I end up coming home with full of regrets, you know, the way I might have spoke to somebody because I was, you know, a little tired, a little irritable. And mistakes I might have made at work because I was tired and not on my game and not focused. So going to bed early, but getting a full eight hours. I mean, that's a habit in itself. Getting a full eight hours of sleep is mission critical. It it impacts every aspect of your life. So I'm going to take this further. Going to bed 30 minutes early and getting a full eight hours sleep is a habit that is is a must. And I think this point, especially maybe more than any of the other three, the other two points we've mentioned so far is that this point actually, it takes a lot of, a lot of mental energy not a lot of mental energy, but it takes, it is a, like you said, Trevor, it's a true habit. I mean, you think, you think getting ready for bed and going to bed 30 minutes early would be easier, but it actually is this, this thing that we, we do kind of struggle at. You need to... (laughs) Going to bed, okay, so in the summer, going to bed at 9.30 is kind of hard, actually, because the sun's still up, but uh, it's probably closer to quarter to 10, but I, I, I think you, what, the way you're going to accomplish this is if, if you like watching The Late Show with Jimmy Fallon, then th- it's going to be hard to do this, so you need to crowd that out of your life. You, you can't, that can't be your go-to entertainment is The Late Show because it's not going to work. That's where the book, you know, reading a book, it's not on someone else's schedule. It's on your schedule. That, that's why reading, another reason reading is so important is you're not at the mercy of the, uh, the television network and when they're putting a show on. You can pick up your book and read it at your convenience. And if, if reading your book at 9.30 because you want to be asleep by 10, that's how you crowd out the bad stuff. But I always go back to this. If you had a young family, so if you've got young kids, just know that you're not going to have young kids for your whole life. This, when I look back, when my kids were young and, and, and I wasn't able to maybe to, to build personal habits like this, it, it's a real small window of time, surprisingly. You know, when I reflect back, in the, in the moment, it seems like it's forever and it's never going to end. But trust me that your kids will become more independent once they hit the teenage years, if, if you've done your parental work up front, they will be kind of on more on autopilot and, and require less of your energy. And you, this will allow you to start developing your personal habits. In terms of then, you mentioned making other things priorities. So instead of uh, watching the, the late show, kind of working on your own time schedule. So extending this to uh, doing... Uh, evening activities if you're on a, in a sports league or you meet up with friends or you're in a certain club then how do you do you prioritize a sleep above maybe any of these kind of extra activities or or how do you personally kind of schedule your life around that well i think it's okay if you hit a, the odd night where you're you say you have, have a sporting activity you're in a club and it, and it runs late the, the problem is if you schedule activities in every single night of the week now you've got a problem 
So I get that you might have your camera club and it runs till, you know, quarter to 10 one night. So you're getting to bed a little late, but it's when you start stacking that you know, night after night after night where things start to fall apart. So let's move on to point number four. And point number four is buy quality instead of quantity. So this, per- this point relates a little bit more to personal finance in the last three points. And I, I, I think this point is something we all want to practice, but in actuality, we I think it, it, we do struggle with uh, with make especially with making this a habit too. Because uh, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, Trevor, but like we always say, you can have a little bit of everything, but you can't have a lot of of everything. And if we go quality on everything, would we not dry our, run ourselves dry in terms of personal finance and our resources? I mean if you if you really create a habit out of this everywhere in your life is I, I, it just comes across as unsustainable well i think you got to look and make sure you're not buying luxury instead of quantity so so you you could be buying quality so they they use an example here of shoes footwear is a good example if you buy cheap shoes and you might get two or three pairs for the price of one really good quality pair of shoes you're probably going to have a lot more enjoyment from that one really good pair of footwear over some really low end, I'll say Walmart shoes. So I, I, but I think you got to make sure you're not buying luxury. So luxury is something above high quality. And and I think you got to watch. You're not pursuing that as a habit. So for me, footwear is a good example. Whenever I'm buying shoes, I, I tend to, so footwear is not a luxury, generally speaking, unless you're buying high fashion shoes but for somebody my age, <laughs> I don't do a lot of that. So, so I, I like to. I know there's a price point where I'm getting a high quality shoe, and I only buy shoes like I might not even buy shoes this year. So I, I know I'm buying quality shoes, but I, I tend to even with clothing, I, I tend to go with quality brand name clothing, but not fa- not 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 fast fashion. You got to stay away from that. So I, I think you probably end up saving money. But in terms of developing this as a habit, I think you just have to back away from the sales. You know, a lot of times you'll buy something just because it's on sale. And that's a bad habit. That's a habit to break. So I, I, I'm going to throw out this one example because it, it just happened to me yesterday. I was, uh, there's this really nice area uh, within the city I live in. And it's all, there's all these kind of really um, nice boutique sh- shops. And I went to this one. I'd always wanted to go into it. And it sells so it sells all Canadian um, designed and, and 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 made clothing items um, by, by Canadians. A hundred different Canadian kind of artists uh, work as within this store, so it's kind of just one stop shop. And I was, I mean, in there were the the work that they created is beautiful. The dresses were beautiful, and but again, they had this higher price tag. All the all the items within the within the shop were between sixty to a hundred dollars, and while while that is very very, it, it's more expensive than you would buy maybe a dress in at the local at your mall. I was kind of overcome by the sense of 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 awe that. If you could restructure your life that you are buying maybe one staple dress that you absolutely love and that's the dress, you know it's high quality, you feel good about it, you feel good about where it came from and who you're supporting, I think there's there's a lot of value to that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I still don't know how you build this as a habit though. That's where I'm kind of struggling. 
I'm not sure how you build this as a micro habit in your life because I, I guess maybe I don't buy enough stuff. Well, going back to the shoes example, we're going to talk about a habit here. So I know, and maybe this is just a female thing, but I find it easy. If, if anyone's aware of our, our Deans or our Dan, however you pronounce it, they have these sales where it's buy, uh, buy two for $20 or buy one for $19.99. It's not quite that, but it's, it's close to it. Um, and it's kind of a no brainer to buy two pairs. But again, these, these, uh, these footwear, usually kind of sandals go on sale for the summer they're they're very inexpensive and and they're not high quality but yet you kind of i i found myself guilty of this just stopping in to pick up something quick because i needed uh, a flip-flop to to wear to the beach that could get wet and would be fine there but in actuality the next time any of these flip-flops break i'm going to uh i'm probably gonna go to mec and invest in a good quality uh, multi-use uh, sandal that will will last me everywhere so i don't know if that's another good example but i think i think maybe we go along with what society does as, as, as a norm in that we gravitate towards buying inexpensive and but multitudes of inexpensive items. I know I have way too many pairs of flip-flops and sandals, but really I just have one good quality pair. I guess I'm going to say this number four is really, I, I don't think it's part of a micro daily habit because I, I don't spend money on that frequent of a basis that, that a habit could be developed here. But I guess just to have, a, have an eye for quality instead of quantity you have to develop that kind of view of the world to incorporate this as a daily habit. And, and like like Laura Adams said at the beginning of her article, I mean, both these are both behaviors and thought patterns. So I think this could this point number four could definitely fall under developing more positive thought patterns as well. So point number five is uh, set a spending waiting period. Yeah, so this one I think is is important, especially when it comes to big ticket items. So I have a strategy where I leave my wallet at home if I'm going shopping for big ticket items. Say I say I need a new fridge or some sort of big appliance. I'm not taking my wallet with me to go shopping. You know, first brush. You know, I'm going to see what's available out there because I don't want to succumb to the deal of the day. I, I you know, I, I know what I need. I'm going out to see what these things cost because you, you don't buy a fridge that often. So the last time I bought a fridge, that information I, I, I used to buy that last fridge is going to be of no use for my next fridge. Same with the stove, any appliance, a washing machine. Technology changes so much, I, I can't use the same information I gathered the last time. So I leave my wallet at home. If I'm, I'll go to Home Depot or wherever it is I'm shopping, find out what they cost, and then I, I can't buy it. I've got no means to buy it. That guy could offer me the best deal of the day. I have to turn it down. I gather information. I come back home and I, I reassess my needs and what things cost. And then the next time I go out, I take my wallet and hopefully I, I buy what I need. On smaller ticket items, just I'll say televisions, they, they tend to cost a little less than big appliances. If I'm shopping for a television, I'm going to leave my wallet in my car. So again, I, I, I'm going to have to go in. I, I might see this. 85 inch TV and think, wow, that would look great in my living room. At least I have to walk from the store back to my car. And once I get to my car, I, I, you got a, li- a little wee cooling off period in there. Hopefully it's enough to come to your senses and say, you know what? I don't think that fit through my front door. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you gotta, you gotta create a mechanism. So those are my habits is I just know I just shove my wallet in the glove box and I go in the store. Again, I got no means to buy it. 
and you just need to create a cooling off period. But if if you want to take this further, so you're trying to create a habit, is so long as it's not a consumable item, you never buy it at first the first look. You never buy it. So even if you're looking at shoes, clothes, whatever, you look at it, you see it, and you never buy it the first time you see it ever. You 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 you, ha- you go home. And you may come back out that very that very same day to that same store to buy it, but but you left and came back. You know that's the habit. Is first time you see something, you never buy it. I mean that is just something that is it's just it, it's so outrageous you'd never even consider it. And that that has worked for me. And this works if you see something on Amazon online. First time you see it. You never buy it, and, and and it's even harder for online shopping. But I just never. I give twenty four hour minimum before I will commit to buying something after I've seen it the first time. So my follow up question to this then is: What if there is either a perceived, which is a little bit easier to probably deal with, or an actual sense of scarcity with with that item? I mean, when you're when you, it's kind of quote unquote bigger ticket items when you're thrifting at a thrift store. I mean, it could be like a table or or a bed frame, something kind of larger like that with a higher price tag. And and when I say larger, I don't. I, it's not going to be obviously massive because you you are at a thrift store, or or when we're talking even footwear. If it's, I, I'm going back to on sale items here, if, or a good deal, I guess. Um, how do you how do you deal either so mentally with that perceived sense of scarcity or the actual sense of scarcity? So we we live in the land of plenty. I mean, there there is no scarcity in our society today at all on anything, food, clothing, home improvements. Scarcity does not exist in our society. There is no scarcity. You're, you're, I can't think of a single thing that I can't go out and buy tomorrow that I could have bought today. There is nothing. You may have to make concessions on the color, the, the style. The, you, you'll make concessions, but the chances of never getting that item again, it, this is what marketing tries to do. They, they want us to believe that it's now or never. And it is just scarcity. Just that, That's actually happened itself. Stop buying into the scarcity mentality. It does not exist. There, there, there was a time where scarcity was. I mean, you'd have to go back centuries, but in our modern society, scarcity is not a thing. In fact, it's never, I've said this before, it's never been so hard to do less in the history of time than it is now. Try to eat less, try to spend less. It is, it's really hard. You have to work hard to do less. So scarcity does not exist. So you're saying if, if you're at a store and you see the perfect uh, perfect object X, you're saying that worst case scenario, you will go back and you can't possibly get your hands on another object X that the worst the worst thing that's going to happen is that you'll just, if you, if you really, if you come back after the cooling off period, the worst, well, the worst possible scenario is that you'll have to get objects, object Y, which is, maybe not at the same store maybe and maybe it's a little bit different price but you'll still be able to get it and I, th- I think maybe that is kind of this the good way to look at it you can't be married to an item at such a fine detailed level that that's where it falls down if you saw a backpack that had just 
the right number of pockets. It was the right color. And it was the right size. It was the right everything. And it was at the right price. But it, there was only one left. Just say that's the scenario you're looking at. This is the first time you saw that backpack. How do you know you're not going to see one better? Like, how do you know you're not going to see one even at a better price with, with better features that you didn't even know existed? Only if it was the last backpack ever, <laughs> and that just is not going to happen. Scarcity does not exist. In fact, that is the habit here is get rid of the mindset that, that things are in. The only thing that is in limited supply is non-renewable resources, oil, gold, silver, these, these copper, these are things that, that could one day be in short supply or, or, or not exist anymore. But things that we manufacture, you're talking timing is your is worst case scenario is it's not there today, but they're going to make more and there'll be some there tomorrow. Scarcity is is only in where the it's no longer available on earth. So let's move on to point number six now. And point number six within with uh, the seven micro habits to 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 make yourself better with money is automating your savings. So this is where you you get an, uh, money diverted from your paycheck into a separate account, like an investing account or a savings account. And it just, if you get direct deposit with your, your payroll where you work, a lot of times you can pick multiple accounts that your money goes into. So you can have some money go into your checking account and a little bit get diverted to a savings account. And the whole key is, is out of sight, out of mind. So once this money is diverted, and when you first get this done, when you first have money diverted to a savings or investing account, it's painful because it feels like you, you just got uh, the opposite thing of a raise. You just got a demotion. You know, your, your, pay, your, your pay was just reduced. But once you make all the, the lifestyle adjustments to, to work with that lower amount, you just forget about it. It's like it never happened. It's so painless. But if you have to take the money every week you got paid or every two weeks and physically go in the bank, take that money out and put it somewhere else, uh, that's, that's a real hard habit to do. So the, the whole thing here is make it easy. Make it easy for yourself to make it so to, to develop a bad habit, you actually have to go into the bank, take the money to your savings account and spend it. So, so make doing the wrong thing really hard. And moving on to the final points, so was the seventh micro habit to that will make us make you better with money is saying no more often. And I really, really like point number seven because it's it's definitely it's definitely powerful in in the decisions we make. The hardest part is saying no that first time. So if you've got a new friend and, and they like to go out a lot and you keep going out hoping you know they won't disown you as a friend because you didn't go out with them. Saying no occasionally, you don't want to be this person who, who they, you can always call this guy up and he, they know they'll go out for dinner with you. If you say no occasionally to uh, going out with friends or, or going away for a weekend, then you know you're not succumbing to peer pressure. And I think that's what this is about, is, is doing things even though you, you might not even want to do them, but it's the peer pressure that's making you do it. And the other one is this could be FOMO, the fear of missing out. And between those two factors, peer pressure and the fear of missing out, those could make you say yes more often than you want to or should or could afford to. So saying no to things, uh, I'm gonna, this is kind of around social settings. If you find you're never saying no 
chances are you, you've you've got a habit that, that needs to be broken. And if you find yourself saying no too often, does that mean that you you're amongst maybe the wrong the wrong social group or does that mean like what what does that mean well i mean if you say no what often enough in social settings you, you'll stop being invited right so there, there's a there's a, a fine line there right so if you say no to every social engagement people just assume you don't want to do it or you can't afford it or whatever reason it's not your thing so you do you do want to keep yourself in social circles but it's okay to opt out in fact if you observe your, your social group, just figure out how many people are at, at every social event in that, in that social circle. And, and chances are there's nobody that goes to every single social gathering. So uh, there, actually, you know, there probably is one or two people that you always see, but they could be in financial ruins for all you know. So I, I think you need to say no as much as you say yes. So Trevor, that brings us to the end of our seven micro habits that will make you better with money and an article by laura adams from quick and dirty tips so of the seven habits what do you think your favorite one is well for me the one that's going to move the needle and really make a difference in your life in many ways i think is to the one read one page of a book every day and i think if you can incorporate reading into your life a lot of the other ones start to fall in place for instance you you may skip out on social gatherings that would cost you money because you enjoy reading you may go to bed earlier because you're on not on the schedule of a TV network, but you're on the schedule of reading your book. And I, I think if you read before you go to bed, I tend to sleep better, so that would help you sleep. I, I think for me, and plus you're going to gain a lot of knowledge through reading. So I, I think for me, the, the one that would move the needle the most is reading. But I just want to say, so grand gestures in life, so great you know, accomplishments, big significant accomplishments, they should be celebrated and, and they're important in your life, but it's the little things you do every day that are going to make a difference in your financial life. It's these little tiny things that you do every day that have the biggest impact on your financial well-being. And on that note, that brings us to the very end of today's episode on micro habits that will improve our personal finances. Thank you so much for being here this this week. We can't wait to have you ne- with us next week when we record our roundtable on money mistakes by the decade. So if you're kind of wondering about mistakes that are coming up or in to avoid, tune in for that episode. We're really excited to record it. And we'll, we're going to kind of be coming soon too with a, uh, with a listener write-in episode where we kind of answer listener questions that we've received. So stay tuned for that as well. And until next week, keep it simple.